brand wagon. It's a little different today. It's a little, it's a little quiet in here. You're right here. Yeah, I'm sitting over here. What's going on here? Uh, well, um, <laughs> first off, nothing to worry about. We have okay. a great show. We, okay. uh, you interviewed uh, Patrick Campbell, the CEO of ProfitWell. It was a phenomenal interview. Thank I think you, everyone's going to yeah. absolutely devour this. But there's, there's no audience, and yeah. we are here on a Saturday. And Chris has no idea why we're here. I have no idea. I have no idea. We put this on your calendar. Uh -huh. Thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I thought that we would start the show. I'd let you know what's about to happen. Okay. So... I think of you as a friend, mm -hmm. um, the, the fearless leader and CEO of Wistia. Mm -hmm. These are two things Thank I've always, you, yeah. you know, and, mm -hmm. but now I also am starting to think of you as a talk show host. Like we're, this is seven episodes in, you've been we're filming, in you're like a talk show host. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So there's certain things that a talk show host <laughs> has to do, I feel like, okay. certain segments that they have. And so we thought today that we would bring in an animal handler. <laughs> so outside, <laughs> <laughs> Outside right now in the parking lot because we couldn't do this on a weekday. Yeah, we have um, an animal handler who has a PhD in zoology and has. Thank brought, God, because if there's going to be an animal handler, I want to make sure they have a PhD. He has brought with him five exotic animals that no. he was going to teach you all no, about. No, today. no, no, no. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> so we have an audience that's on their way here. Do uh, they know? Everybody knows me. Yet. Oh, <laughs> so, come on. So um, I don't know how we're going to do this. We'll do a hard cut, but when we come back. Chris is going to learn a lot about some exotic animals. Wow, I, I can't wait. Congratulations. I can't wait. It's a real this rite is of amazing. passage. Yes. This is amazing. <laughs> Are you so cold? <laughs> Do you have any idea? <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. But it makes sense. It makes it a lot makes of sense. sense. We couldn't, you know, the neighbors would You can have a snake in here or like whatever this is, a zebra. What do we have? Anything big? There is a snake. Of course there's a of very, do you uh, not like snakes? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the surprise. My but instinct is that no, I don't like them, but <laughs> we'll see. The animal inventory is solid and appropriate. Okay. Okay. Wow. So you ready? I'm ready. Let's bring in the okay. zoo animals. Okay. <laughs> well, we're back. Ed is here, everybody. Put it together for Ed. We got our live studio audience. Thanks for being here, Ed. This is a complete shock and surprise for me. That's what I was told. Yes. Um, so I hear you have some incredible animals here. Is yeah, that true? Yeah, I got a few. A few okay. Nice okay, well, let's meet them. Let's start with something cute. That sounds like a good, good beginning. This is uh, Mrs. Pip. And uh, chinchillas are found in South America. Neat thing about chinchillas okay. is, oh, yeah, yep, they're very soft ones. Very one, soft. one of the softest uh, fruits in, in the world. And uh, they accomplish <laughs> that a few ways. They have a lot of, if you've made a, like a centimeter circle on a chinchilla, they have more hairs than most other animals in the world. We've taken a lot of chinchillas. Um, they're great pets, but they live a long time. They can live over 15 years. So sometimes people will get a chinchilla as a pet, and then now they're going off to college and getting married. and. And they bring the chinchilla with them or not? Usually? No, they usually come to our place. Unless you can yeah. sneak them into the college dorm or you go to a university that allows it. I know? say sneak it in. That's what I said. Yeah. I, I did. I had plenty of animals in my dorm. Really? Oh, yeah. You snuck chinchillas in? Uh, no, I was more of an alligator, crocodile, boa okay. constrictor type guy in my, All right. in my dorm. So, wow. Not telling the college kids to do it, I'm just saying I did. No? So it's possible. You can do it. Times have changed. Okay. <laughs> Let me see if I can write a message step over here. So this is Aquila. What is this? Aquila, she is a North American porcupine. Okay. So. Is this a good spot for me here? Or? Yeah, yeah, she's usually okay. very good. 
These guys are awesome. You find them in Alaska all the way through mm -hmm. uh, northern Mexico, really. So they have about uh, 30,000 quills. Now you see these long hairs here, you can just touch. So she gets a little bit, you know, uh, sensitive to that. Those are called triggers. So in the wild, if a predator is going to come up on them, uh -huh. well, what happened is once they touch these triggers, she knows something's too close and she'll back up to them and shake them up and fill them full of quills. Now they can't shoot their quills. That's uh, a big myth, but they do have these little bobs on the end like a fish hook. So if they stick in you, uh, they can get stuck. I have a little snake. This one here was dropped off. Um, they said it was a, a face striker, um, but I think, I think they're exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> a face striker. Oh! oh. oh. Now uh, so this one's in a shed. Also, do you want the other end? You know what? I'm good. I'm good on this one. Give me that. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> they need to stick out their tongue to smell, and if you can get a close-up of the eye, how it's glossy. We we probably get, without exaggeration. 200 females a year, people will say, my snake is blind, he was fine yesterday. He's not blind, he's just going into a shed. So if you're a snake owner and you see that, he's getting this milky creamy shed. solution wow. in between the, the old skin and the new skin. That'll clear up, he'll rub his head on a log of rock and then he'll slither right out of his old skin. Okay, here we yeah, go. Yeah, so wow. uh, big misconception okay. is, is that snakes are slimy. They're really, they're really, they're very strong, very dry. Very strong. And uh, we don't put them around people's necks or bodies and do that kind that of stuff. That's not very smart. You know, most animal business is not rocket science. Mostly, if you have common sense, you can do it. You know? Cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you go, buddy. You got it. You got it. So this is uh, Obadiah. Hi, Obadiah. How are you? By most people, I would say, all experts would say this is about the largest owl in the world. There are a couple owls that can get a teeny bit longer, maybe a little heavier, but they have a wingspan that can be over six feet long. Hi, Obadiah. They have about 30,000 feathers. If the camera can see my hand, you can see how far your hand can bury right in there. Wow, crazy. And uh, uh, they have you know, excellent eyesight, great hearing, and uh, little to no sense of smell. A lot of people don't realize owls can't really I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why, like the around here, the great horned owl can eat skunks. We'll prey on skunks. Wow! Can I open up his wingspan? We have time to open up his wingspan. I think we should open it up. Yeah. Take a look. Wow! That's amazing. There you go. Oh yeah, you can feel that wind right yeah. there. So it's silent, but you can feel it. You can feel it. Whoa! Okay. So this is Tarzan. And he's a jumper. This one. He's a jumper. So uh, one of my lemurs has jumped 21 feet. Uh, vertical and 13 feet horizontal, so that's the furthest I've ever seen. Wow. Okay, let me see if I can get him to do a jump here. Come here. Come on. Tree. Tree. Wow. Tarzan. Well, thank you so much, Ed. That was amazing. Thanks for coming. Um, and we'll be right back after this. Getting people to like your brand is harder, and more important, than ever. What does it take to cut through the noise and make meaningful connections? Join us for Change the Channel on Wednesday, October 2nd at 1pm EST. To find out where the future of brand marketing is heading. Hear from experts about what it takes to build a memorable brand. And stick around for a super exciting announcement that you won't want to miss. 
broadcasting it all from Wistia HQ in front of a live studio audience. So sign up, tune in, and find out how you can build a better brand. What a day today has been. <laughs> Obadiah's wingspan, Mr. Nibbles, or whatever that chinchilla was called. I am quite beside myself at this exact moment. Uh, and we have a very exciting interview for you today with Patrick Campbell, who is the CEO of ProfitWell. ProfitWell has been doing a ton of amazing things to build their brand with shows, and I cannot wait for you to check out how they have made their process incredibly efficient very differentiated, and they're doing everything in-house. Let's roll that interview. Um, so what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. How thanks, are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So I have a bunch of questions for you. Excited, I'm excited to have you here today. Yeah, I'm pumped to be here. Um, bunch of questions. First one is, tell us, Yeah. who are you? What's ProfitWell? Yeah. So Patrick Campbell, founder and CEO of a company called ProfitWell, uh, we help uh, subscription businesses with the hard parts of growth. So we have a free subscription financial metrics product. It plugs right into your billing system. So Stripe, Zora, Braintree, um, those are different billing systems if, if you're not familiar. And then we give them free metrics. So they can log in and see all of their financial metrics for free um, on a really, really deep and accurate level. And then the way we make money is we basically show them where they're not doing so well. Um, and in some of those places, we just give them advice. In other places, we have a product that can help solve their problem. For us, we think about needing to be one of the centers of the subscription ecosystem. And one of the main ways that we think we're gonna be able to do that, not just through like product, but it's actually treating content like product. And that's what's kind of caused us to start to do, um, basically treat our content like shows. Like we're building an actual network that'll allow us to you know, build subscribers, build brand, build that experience, and, and kind of be one of the authorities within the space. That's a pretty novel idea. Yeah. We're gonna make shows as a way to promote ourselves and build our brand and build our audience. Yeah. Like, how did you get started with that? And what, is it, what does that look like now? Yeah, so what was really interesting is in 2012, I was hanging out with you and Brendan, and uh, we were working on like pricing and stuff like that. And one thing that Brendan said was basically like, hey, what I would do, and it was just me at the company, like I was just me like trying to like build this company, was, hey, you should hire someone to just make videos all day. And I was, I was just thinking, okay, a little self-serving for Wistia, but it's also <laughs> one of those things where I thought, oh, I just don't have time for this. I, I'm not going to be able to basically do this. Um, and you know, the content that we were putting out in written form was really working. Well, over time, we kind of built the company over the, you know, over the past few years. And then about two, two and a half years ago, we started to think about like what was the next evolution of growth for us? And we were finally going to start to like take growth seriously. Like up until that time, we had sales-driven growth, we had product-driven growth, but we didn't really have marketing except for our blog, which was doing really, really well. But it was just me writing content all day, and that, that was it. And so what ended up happening is you started to see kind of this, this mixture of a few things. So one, video started to kind of arrive. Um, there's a lot of people who knew video was already really, really important. But it started to become, hey, that's going to be the number one trend this year, or it's going to be one of the top trends this year. Uh, and then what we started to study was because we're a bootstrap company and because we just don't, you know, we don't have like millions of dollars to just go after one particular bet, I started studying the data in the space and started to realize in the world of content, written content is starting to get so dense that you either need to be so good at it 
that you're going to be, you know, the thought leader for a space, but that's so hard. Anyone who's tried to write a blog post, like you put so much effort into it and then all of a sudden, like it doesn't do anything, right? Or you write something that's, you know, semi-scandalous and it does really, really well, right? And so it's really hard to figure out what works and what doesn't. And so we started looking at some other data around, um, for instance, you know, what are the best companies in the world at content? They're media companies. Uh, the average number of touches that a media company can typically get is right around four to seven per week, meaning you read or you watch or something like four to seven pieces of content. From one media company. From one media company. Yeah. So like Bloomberg or um, The Skim or you know all different types of media companies that are out there. Now, for a common blog, especially in like a SaaS company, it's really about a max of like 1.6 touches per week. So we started looking at this and all of this data kind of like started coming together and we we're like, okay... So these are the best companies in the world at gaining audience and traffic. They're the worst at monetization. Yeah. Software is really, really good at monetization. And there's a way to probably do this that we don't have to, you know, we can have both essentially. So that started our path into like, okay, we're going to build a network. We're going to build a media company as like basically part of the company as a whole. That's awesome. And it, it is interesting because I feel software is so scalable. Yeah. And content is also so scalable. Yeah. And so when you combine those two things together, totally. It seemed it the opportunities I think are really huge. And I've I've seen in the content that you're making, like that you're right, the number of touches per week is very yeah. high. And I don't watch everything and I don't, but like I do end up seeing the episodes. I do end up seeing this the the shows that connect with me, and I will totally. watch those. And that's the idea, right? Like yeah. You don't need people to watch everything. You just want them to watch the right ones. Well, it, it becomes, you increase the probability of binging. Like, just the, the path to watching or listening to a piece of content versus reading a piece of content, it, the, the barrier to entry is so much lower. Yeah. And what ends up happening is you increase the probability that people are going to watch different types of content. So our forcing function was, how do we have a new show get published every single day of the week? They don't all have to be you know, 45 minutes long. They don't have to be a docu-series. They can be smaller segments. Yep. They can be larger segments. But if we can get to that point, then and we can do that in a cost-effective way. What we can start to do is we'll have some people that'll watch every single thing. They'll sign up for everything. They want to consume every single thing from us. Well, some folks only want one thing, and then there'll be a bunch of people in the middle. But all of a sudden, that just increases our probability of increasing that overall average, right? And so that was what was so powerful for us to like take this risk. And it, it was one of those things where we hedged the hell out of it. We just started by literally just taking, you know, and this is like you know very wistia like recommended thing. Hey, just take the blog post and create a video of it. Like, it's just how we started. And then all of a sudden, we were, all right, let's do our first show. Um, we think that this show, we didn't do any of the research we probably should have. Uh, and then that first show, we were filming every week. And then we were like, okay, maybe let's just film an entire season, you know, in a week. And I was like, let's film an entire season in a day, right? And the one thing that kind of got us down this track as well that I left out before, um, do you know what the average cost of like an ebook is in time and materials? Any guesses? 10,000 bucks? It's about 10,000 bucks. You've oh. read our blog. <laughs> <laughs> Average season of a show, just doing calculations on you know, time, materials, equipment, if you need to rent anything, it's about $10,000, right? And so some of our series actually cost us about $2,000 because they're just so like compartmentalized. And that doesn't include like everything, but it includes like most things. And then some of our series are going to cost, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 once, you know, they're all said and done. And so you're just looking at this as like a really leveraged way to like grow that subscriber base um, and ultimately create that brand, um, which is something that we obviously want. 
Awesome. So you are, I think, ahead of where most people are today, thinking about yeah. using shows to build your brand. Tell me about like, what would you tell someone who's just getting started? How, what advice would you give them? Hire a videographer. Okay. Hire like like honestly like hire. I I I know you can just do it yourself with a camera. I did that, and everything else comes up. Right. It's not the first thing you're going to think of. I think hire someone who has. It doesn't even have to be someone who's amazing. Right. Like hire a show like show producer, a hungry kid like out of art school or who wants to be a YouTuber or whatever it is, and then just give them a ton of free reign obviously guide them in the right direction and you have to do stuff that's about your brand. But if you have someone thinking about this 100% of their time, it's really, really valuable. And the cost is essentially the same as a content manager. And you're creating content, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and so what ends up happening is you'll start with one show or you'll start with just doing that blog post or you'll start with something. And they'll, they might not be great at After Effects. They might not be great at all these other things, but they're good enough that they can put something decent looking together and then you can put that out there and just kind of get the ball rolling. And tell me about, I mean, you found your way to shows. You have a bunch of different discrete shows. Why, why the model of a show? When you think of like traditional content, it's not about the audience, it's about the conversion. So what ends up happening is it's like, okay, they read this piece of content. Now let's let, let me serve this piece of content. Yeah. Now let's let them serve this piece of content. And then let's get them an offer. And then let's like get them on then the phone buy. for a salesperson, right? Yeah. Problem is, is that time has changed dramatically in how we buy things. There's plenty of things that we buy based off impulse, a lot of retail products, e-commerce, et cetera. But there's also a lot of things where, you know, it's a multi-move game now. Like when you think of software, when you think of these types of things, especially in the B2B space, time is such an influencing factor in a sale that if I try to do that all of a sudden and you don't convert, I either have aggravated you because I'm trying to pressure you into the sale or the other thing that's going to happen is, is you're going to go into some other list that maybe I do some nurturing on, but I don't really focus enough on it. Yeah. And then inevitably what ends up happening is maybe I come back to you or maybe I don't realize and then you're already aggravated potentially, so you're not going to like raise your hand when you're ready. With a show and with building an audience, so being audience-focused, what ends up happening is you're building this audience, you're building this audience, you're building multiple audiences. So you have like basically some shows are going to take off and do really well. Some shows are going to flatten out because there just isn't a big audience for them because they're too niche or they're too kind of focused. And that's great, but all of a sudden, then what it allows you to do is you have this giant pool of people who have really good positive interactions with your brand, and then it's your your goal then is to kind of score them a little bit and reach out to them in a very respectful manner. And if they're ready to talk, they'll go, great, let's talk. And if they're not, they'll go back to your product, which is your content, or in our case, a free product plus the content. Yeah, so they're basically... Instead of pushing them through the funnel, you keep them in the audience the whole time. You're putting the onus, like you're putting the onus of conversion on them, which is a little scary as a business. But it's also where everything's going, right? It's I, I don't even yes, I think it's where everything's going because never before, like customer acquisition costs are up seventy percent the past five years. It doesn't matter the channel. We're not getting brand new channels that open up. <laughs> yeah. um, like it's just not happening. Right? Yeah. The last one we had was kind of Snapchat, and that was. A little TBD, whether that's applicable totally. to non like retail and consumer brands. To anyone who's going after not teens. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, and, and you're looking at a world where if all of that's happening, you just have to get better. And we're reaching, I think what's really cool is we're reaching this really interesting equilibrium where it's 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 no longer, hey, we we're the business, we have all the power, and it's no longer, oh, we're the customer, we have all the power. We're starting to reach like a really good like equilibrium around 
you know, value is what's selling, right? And the best way to show your value is to make sure that you're like showing off your brand and providing a good experience. And tell me about the iteration and the learning. Because I, I, I think it's, you and I have talked about that before. I think it's really yeah. interesting some of the things that you've seen there. And yeah. I think if you, someone's thinking they're going to get started, they're going to hire a videographer, which is your your suggestion, which I think is a good one, is like yeah. instead of the content marketing manager. Think of it like a content manager. Yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. It's actually not that hard. Yep. Um, then maybe they're going to try to make shows. Yeah. Um, how do they know if that's working? What should they What should they look at? What are the yeah. What's the advice you'd give someone who's just at that stage? Yeah. I would start persona-based. Uh, I think that that has a, I would start either like you have a very specific topic like pricing, right? Mm. Or start very persona-based. Try not to do an interview show as the first thing that you do, unless that's the only thing you can think of, like something's better than nothing. Uh, but try to do something. And, and the thing that I would do, honestly, this is what's helped us, consume a ton of content. Um, I watched you know, Grant Carnone and Gary Vee, which you know sometimes I need to take an aspirin, but you know it's, it's, it's great to watch because you're learning so much. Um, and then watch ESPN, watch everything you normally, watch the nightly news, just consume a ton of content. And what you should be doing is basically cataloging formats. So think about like what's the format, right? This is a little bit more like a Tonight Show, right? You know, think about like oh, that's a really interesting format. Um, you know, where they you know score people's answers. Oh, that's a really interesting format where you know they go, you know, they tell a story while they're doing a tutorial or they're doing something. But just like take a bunch of formats and then think about how you would apply that to your business and your audience. And if you can basically find something that is very audience-focused or very like niche-focused, like the pricing page teardowns that we do, then you're going to do really, really well and it's going to leverage what you're doing kind of going forward. So how big is ProfitWell from like a people's perspective and yeah. how many people are working on this? So we have about 80. It might be 85. We just had a lot of people start recently uh, just because we're now we have a full-time recruiter and she's doing really well. Like, not too well. <laughs> Uh, so, on the content team, we have uh, so we have a creative producer and then an associate creative producer. So this is Dan and Alyssa. They handle graphics, uh, intros, all the look and feel they're in charge of. And so they have you know input on the shows and input on you know the ads we do and things like that. Um, and then they're actually doing all the legwork on the graphic stuff there. We have one show producer that owns two shows, and then we have another show producer that owns three shows, and then both of them are working together on um, basically this twelve shows that we're trying to launch in the next couple of months. And then we have like one content writer, okay, uh, and then me. So basically, the content writer and I are doing too much, and so we're going to switch up to this pod structure to kind of like make it a little bit more equilibrium. Basically, so there's about six people, including yep. you, yep. out of eighty-five. Yep. Um, and this That's what, our entire content team to be. It's like. your entire content yeah. team. What percentage of your market activities is this? 100%. We have a demand gen guy, and then we have one growth manager that's dedicated to this part of the team. So basically helping distribute this content and gotcha. like launch things. So you're making like a huge bet yes. on content. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, making yeah. a huge bet on this format of content. Yes. Um, and how is it affecting the business? It's a f- millions of dollars of revenue. Like millions, and we're you know over we're between ten and twenty million as a business, so a very large portion of our revenue. Uh, I would say actually, no person becomes a customer without seeing a piece of content. 
Uh, and so, I mean, I could attribute a lot of our revenue to it, but there's a lot of other things that go into like converting a customer. Uh, I think it's also increased our brand, like it's it increased our brand significantly. And I don't have like a perfect, you know, well, 75,000 brand impressions. Yeah, you know, data, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, even though that's very, and that's what makes me uncomfortable because I'm a data science yeah. background, but it's one of those things where you know it's, it's working. Now. We know it's working based on the qualitative data, very similar to like events, where you know events. It's it's really hard to give that full attribution, but you're like, well, I you know should we do this event next year? Well, who converted from that? Who was the touch point there? Like it's very like qualitative. We just we hear it all the time. Like I'll go to a conference and I speak at a lot of conferences, and it used to be like, hey, who here has heard of ProfitWell? And like there would be a few people who like read our blog. Now it's at least half the audience has seen a piece of content uh, because it was forwarded to them. That's amazing. Or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. And so, and it makes your job so much easier. Oh, totally! Like the people who come up to, it, and it, you, you get what I really like is you get more extremes too. We have more super fans now than we've ever had. Like we had super fans, but they were like people who would read all our content and they were like more academic. Now we have super fans from the perspective of they like consume every piece of content that we publish, which is just kind of wild. Um, and there's just such good ambassadors out there in the wild. So today, I mean, you've got, how many shows do you have now? So right now, we have four in the market. They haven't all had multiple seasons. Um, then we're working on another 12 right now. Uh, so yeah. That's a 12. lot. That's a lot. Okay, yeah. uh, so what we've been experimenting with is basically uh, format and length. You can be, you know, MailChimp, who's like going all in on this, hiring Netflix producers and, you know, spending millions of dollars. Or you can be, you know, a bootstrapped, you know, customer-funded company like <laughs> us yeah. and basically want to figure out how to do this at scale without putting a lot of money up front. And then you now have, you call yourselves a network. You have yeah. a network, right? Yeah. Tell me where you got to having a network, what that means for you, what it is. Yeah, it goes back to the assumption or at least the, the analysis of the best people in the world who at acquiring audiences are networks, media networks. Now, how you define a media network is gets really interesting, right? So, you know, you have the traditional networks, you know, the news networks, Fox, CNN, et cetera. You have, you know, the, the late night networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, stuff like that. And then you have really interesting, like, new age networks, like Cheddar, The Skim, these different companies that are, you know, they're media sites, they're content sites at their core, uh, but they don't necessarily think of themselves as NBC, Fox, et cetera. Um, the one company that we looked at that was really fascinating with this was Bloomberg. So if you look at Bloomberg, a lot of people think, oh, it's Bloomberg News. Like Bloomberg is a huge software and hardware company. Like Bloomberg News yeah, yeah. came afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and mainly came as a way to feed the Bloomberg software product with news and financial information and all this other stuff, right? So that to me is the quintessential like software company doing this beautifully, or it's kind of like the North Star to kind of think about. Yeah, it's so good that people don't even know. Yeah, they have no what idea. They're yeah. like, oh, it's Bloomberg's where I got my news. Like, yeah. yeah, but 99% of people on Wall Street use a Bloomberg terminal. Yeah. You know, they, you don't even have a competitor. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. well, why would we use anything else? Because yeah. they created such that brand and the product's good. Or I presume it's good. I mean, I don't use it, but it's one of those it things. It has a great where brand. It's got a great brand. <laughs> it's got a great it's got brand. A great brand. <laughs> and so it's one of those things that we look at, we're like, cool, let's create a network. Because I, I think that no matter how niche or how interesting your world is, like just look at YouTube videos, right? Like my dad watches, like he'll go to a conference and he's an HVAC engineer. And he'll go to a conference and be like, oh, that's so-and-so. I'm like, Who, who's that? He's like, oh, he's really popular on YouTube for HVAC mechanics and engineering, right? Yeah. Like that's great, yeah. right? That's amazing. That's People amazing. have found their niches, yeah. right? And so- any business can basically take their industry and become the source the brand, of right? news yeah. and the brand for it. Now, you want it to follow and people buying your product and using your products, but 
it's one of those things where this whole like, do I build the audience? Do I build the product? And like, how do I like basically balance those things? You got to treat your audience as a product. Like, how do you get that audience in the best way that you can nurture them and you can essentially you know, provide them value on both sides of the equation? Patrick Campbell, ProfitWell. So it is amazing to me that ProfitWell is so data-centric. I've known them for years. Patrick is a data nerd. That is what he cares about. And they figured out how to measure this and how to invest in building shows and building their brand in a way that they can know is working. An example of that is Pricing Page Teardown. It's a show about pricing pages for people who care about pricing pages. Now, that might sound boring to you if you don't care about pricing pages. But if you do, this is like Game of Thrones. This is the most captivating content you could possibly want to see if you're considering changing your pricing. One of the other things that's so cool about what they've done is they've really focused on production efficiency. So for them, they can shoot the season of a show in one day. But to do that, they need a few people, they need the right concept, they need to make it repeatable. And that's different from the way that we've done Brandwagon, that's different from the way that I've seen lots of different people invest in shows. There's a lot of options out there and you gotta find what the best fit is for your business and what you wanna do. That's our show, everybody. Thank you so much to Ed from Animal Adventures. Thank you to Patrick Campbell. Thank you to the live studio audience. Thank you to the crew. The surprise, come on, that was amazing. And we will see you next time. Next time on Brandwagon, or should I say Randwagon, Chris Savage sits down with founder of Sparkturo, Rand Fishkin, and we have a discussion of what it means to be on-brand or off-brand. 